I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Good to be back. Really good to be back. Walking down Main Street with you. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast, sponsored by Betfair. And it's the first Monday pod of the season. This is Ali Maxwell. I've got George Ellick with me. And we are going to break down the whole EFL weekend. Because we did so much content last week, let's just get into it and tell the story of the weekend. How does that sound, George? It sounds great. Both went to a game on Saturday. Both watched loads of live games. Both watch loads of highlights. Really excited to talk about it. And yet we're not going to talk about football specifically to start with. We're going to talk about the laws of the game and how they're being applied differently, as it turns out. Uh, we wanted to start with this because while we don't generally spend too much time on ref chat, uh, this is something that massively affected every match, every player and every fan this weekend, George. And broadly, we split it into two categories, cards and additional minutes. Yes, we are seeing way more of both, uh, in short. Um, it, it's such a difficult thing to kind of argue the merits for and against because I know that a lot of people don't like change. And I, and I know a lot of people feel like football is the one constant in their lives, that they know that they can turn up on a Saturday, they can have a pint at the same pub every time, they can see the same people, they can get there at 10 to 3, they can leave and be, be at home at the same time. Sounds incredible. The main argument against the increased additional minutes being added on, where we had 13 in the Sunderland-Ipswich game, we had nine, didn't we, on the on, in the first uh, game on Friday night, is that it's annoying for people's day. And I think that in itself doesn't really make too much sense to me. I, I don't think you can choose the laws of the game and how they're implemented because of the potential to miss a train. I missed a train. I, I missed a train on Saturday. Yeah. I actually thought there should be more minutes added on, weirdly, in the game that I was at. Um, you know, so it's, Shock. So it's uh, yeah, I think I was at the only stadium where six went up and everyone was like, oh, that's less than we thought. I, mean, I was at Sutton, it was 5-1, 10 added at the end of the second half, and it was pouring with rain as well, which didn't help. But, but it, was, yeah, I, it, was, it was bizarre, it I, was bizarre. Also, I'm not sure that is necessarily the main and sole argument against it. One of them seems to be that in a world where the demand on players' bodies is already fairly high and the schedule is always pretty busy for the next 45 weeks or so, that the current increased level based just on on opening weekend where 
to quote BBC Sport article, Northampton Stevenage lasted 112 minutes, Shrewsbury Cheltenham 110 minutes, Accrington Newport 110 minutes, Sutton Knotts 110 minutes, Barnsley Port Vale 110 minutes. This is obviously the total duration, not the ball in play time, which is probably the first and not the last time that phrase will come up during the discussion. If you extrapolate the extreme nature of additional time over the weekend, we could be looking at something like six extra games worth of football compared to last season. And I've spoken to a couple of players since Saturday and I've asked them their thoughts. One club I know, the physical data that clubs are getting back from the weekend is that their players have run on average a kilometre more than they would have done in an average game last season. And from a sports science perspective, I dare say that's going to raise some red flags. At the same time, a couple of players I spoke to said, but in the last few years, the, the ball in play time thing, the extent to which the dark arts, the time-wasting, the game management has become as much of a part of the game as the actual kicking of balls and execution of your attack and defence, actually something probably does need to happen. So that's why, in my mind, this whole debate after one weekend, like part of the issue or part of the reasons why they've introduced certainly the yellow cards and also the, the added on time is, is to deter players from the dark arts, from being cute... It was really interesting, I thought, that especially the Lee Gregory yellow card on, on Friday night where he, he literally rolled the ball five yards. And that's the kind of thing, even as a fan, you don't really get annoyed about it, but he was yellow carded for it. And it's, and it's cutting out those bits there. The one area where I think it's being implemented a bit oddly, which I tweeted about and Tony Mowbray seemed to agree, was how you can have all these minutes added on time and then when it comes to the end of the added on time, they just blow up. But, you know, it can't go on forever. I don't really know. I mean, it's hopefully what's going to happen is we're going to see less tactical time wasting. There's no denying that if you are a team defending a lead, it is not in your interest to go down for five minutes between the minutes of 80 and 90 in order to kill time and therefore have to play that time later on in the, in the game. Like It doesn't work. So if they do deter that, and even if it takes a short, sharp shock in order to, to make a change and then maybe they do relax it in six months or whatever, then then I think that's okay. I... I Something had to be done, basically. Like it was, I think everyone can agree. I know there'll be people listening to this thinking like it wasn't broken, you know, don't have to fix it or whatever. But like, I think we all have to agree that a world where time wasting isn't rewarded has to be a better world. And this, in my mind, is unless you were to employ a um, a stopping the clock mechanism, in which case genuinely football matches would finish at around six o'clock. Like this is the only way to do it. So... It's a good thing. There's going to be some teething issues. They need to implement it properly by actually adding on the, the the proper amount of time. The yellow cards thing, I think, is is totally fair. There's no point in having rules if you if you're not going to abide by them. I think there should be more yellows given for other things like dissent as well. Where well, we saw a few, didn't we? We saw kicking the ball away. You've mentioned uh, quite a couple of time wasting ones. I saw that across the three leagues. I think six keepers were booked, which is probably more than would have normally happened on an average weekend. At the game I was at, Macaulay Langstaff was booked for basically screaming in the ref's face when a decision went against Knotts. Uh, he was highly frustrated and he sort of spun around, threw his hands up in the air and screamed. And the ref just pulled out a yellow card. And then the game continued and we didn't see anyone else do that yeah, for the yeah. rest of the game. I think that's great. We saw quite a lot of managers being booked and, and yeah. quite a few being sent off. Mm. And now a weird rule where if a manager is sent off, yeah. they don't, they are like banned from doing post-match interviews. So that really, is, I'm, I'm not sure where I stand on that in particular. It's, it's bizarre. 
I just recorded Guardian Football Weekly before this and we yeah. had a chat about it and I was saying how you know how um you get around Christmas time you get players who get sent off before Christmas someone goes oh they want Christmas off yeah I'm now I'm gonna see when you see a manager like deliberately getting sent off with a minute to go be like he's got a party tonight isn't he <laughs> yeah he's got, he's got somewhere to be um but yeah I mean that just seems you know they can't do club media either so Corbrand couldn't speak to the West Brom social channels after the game to give a post-match analysis. Right? That one feels peculiar. Again, with the increased yellow cards, I got some stats for that as well. Thanks to Mark O'Hare for tweeting these. Cards per game. Last season in the Championship, just over four. This uh, this weekend, just over five. So one card per game more, sort of 25% uh, increase. In League One, it was more stark, 3.87 last season cards per game, 5.75 on opening weekend. And in League Two, it was absolute bedlam, 3.67 on average last season, 6.45 cards in uh, League Two this weekend. I, again, have no issue with trying to reduce aspects of time-wasting, of descent, of gamesmanship, etc. I did think some of the fouls, uh, some of the yellows given for fouls were quite soft. And I'm not sure that's a part of the game that necessarily needed improving. Like just some of the more sort of regulation fouls that picked up yellows did grate a little bit to me. But it sounds like broadly we're both on a similar wavelength, which is it feels weird. Of course it feels weird. That doesn't mean it's bad. And there's no reason why at the start of a new season if the EFL and the FA, whoever, have got together and said, it's up to us to try and improve the game and try and turn EFL football into the best version of itself, to use a high-performance podcast phrase, and let's make things uncomfortable for a bit with the idea that it will make improvements in the long run because you know it's never going to happen overnight. So I know that was something that a lot of people were talking about over the weekend. Generally, we wouldn't spend too much time talking about laws of the game and refereeing decisions. But yeah, it'd be interesting to know what you guys think, um, what you think we've missed during this discussion. Player safety, dark arts, all of this stuff is, is a big part of the discussion. Okay, time to dig into the games itself. We'll start with the championship. Uh, George, haven't run this by you yet, but I was thinking over the weekend that we could do a new format on the Monday pod this year where we talk about one game for a disproportionately long time (laughs) and then keep coming back to it even after we've spoken about some of the other games as well and then run out of time for everything else and mash League One, League Two together so quickly that you could sneeze and miss it. If I talk, I'm in big trouble. (laughs) Let's not do that. Um, We wouldn't want to be seen to be copying anyone else's ideas. Uh, Let's just try and talk about all the games as equitably as possible. And let's start at the top of the champ. Watford scored in the first minute against QPR. 4-0 up by half-time. Imran loser and his delectable left peg. Imran winner. What a pass for Delhi Bashiru's opener. What a finish from range. Uh, for the second goal, four by half time. Where to start? It was good when we were um, late in Orient on Wednesday, and you were interviewing Tom Ince. I could kind of see the impressed nature of his face when you mentioned the good left foot, left foot to the club and, and singled out loser for praise. And it was timely because I'm sure Ince was probably thinking of you as he watched, uh, probably from home because he wasn't in the squad. I'm not sure why, um, if he's injured or, or something. But anyway, uh, yeah, an incredible performance from loser. I think I think I probably do this at the beginning of every single first pod of the season pod where like let's not get carried away by anything here okay let's like remember that these individual games like poor teams have good results during the season good teams have poor results during the season and there's no reason why the opening day is any more um 
indicative of anything than, than, than other times of the season. But we, it Let's does be curious rather than exactly. conclusive. But it does it does flag up an opportunity to see teams playing under certain managers for the first time. And this was the first time we'd seen Valerian Ishmael um, and his Val ball at Watford, and it was just very very different to what we saw um, when it came at Barnsley and at West Brom, where the style was much more um, ball playing and expansive. I do think the fact that they were at home and they were one up after a minute probably does affect that because you know there was no need for the intensity that we've we've sometimes seen. They were able to retain the ball without QPR really looking to engage them. A friend of ours, David Walker, who from Football Clichés fame, messaged us on a group run with him, very excited that about having about what he'd seen. Hornet extraordinaire, David Walker, and also my my manager for Sunday League Team Ribblesdale Rovers. So be, <laughs> be careful what you say. I. Yeah, I mean, he and somebody who's been a massive supporter of ours in our careers. So thank you, Dave. Um, but he uh, he messaged us both being very excited and kind of giddy about what he'd seen. And you've got to temper that by the fact that from where we're sitting right now, and this isn't a sweeping um, judgment based on this game. It's judged on what we've seen for the last 12 months, basically, or, or since October. Like QPR, we're 24th in our, in our 1 to 24s. They look like a complete shell of a team right now. So... I don't think I think it's far too early to get overly enthused by Watford and, and suddenly upgrade them from being a team that we struggle to see necessarily being one of the best teams in the league to suddenly being like wow they've won four 0 at home on opening day this is this is this is happening um, but it's a it's a fantastic start as you say the quality of the goals was massive um, individuals coming to the side you know I think for Bayo to to get a goal um, early in the campaign after a really disappointing season last season is big Martins as well. Um, Get, getting his getting the third probably a bit disappointing they weren't able to turn the screw in the second half but you know they basically just knocked the ball around for most of it and, and took off key players to give them a bit of a rest so yeah I mean a, a 10 out of 10 opening day but it looks to me as easy an assignment as you could have really got I mean QPR look like they would be a, a pretty poor league one side right now let alone championship right they were not just for us but for many others the team to be most concerned about heading into this season. The way that they performed here didn't really do much to dissuade anyone from uh, real concerns as to how this is going to look, how this team is going to go about winning football matches. They've got some real injury issues already, and particularly at centre-back. Begovic made his debut in goal, conceded four goals, and still made four saves more than any other keeper in the championship, and basically had a great game. So they need a response, otherwise things are going to spiral pretty quickly if they haven't already after that. Watford fans rightly keen to point out that they played some some lovely stuff uh, and we look forward to seeing more Valball 2.0. You know, one way of looking at how direct they were is to go on who scored, go to aerials one and then click on the subset of that, which is offensive aerials. So you see how many attacking headers, if you like, um, were challenged for by certain players and barely any for Watford so they didn't bother hitting Bayo aerially um, they took a different approach and it worked well I did see that they're in for sorry Cabba which I think would make a lot of sense for a, a Valball 1.0 because he is very up for that sort of physicality and good in the air another team scored four at home George Stoke beat Rotherham 4-1 uh, similarly went ahead pretty early and never looked hugely troubled no they didn't yeah another performance that I guess kind of gets you to, to sit up and take notice even though again caveated by the fact they were, were at home against a Rotherham side who are predicted by many well they're you know one of the bookmakers favourites for relegation and I don't think I've had the kind of summer of recruitment they necessarily would have expected to have um, it was 
Keanu Hoover, who had a brilliant goal-scoring spell um, with an unbelievable finish mm. for, for the first goal. I mean, he's got some serious quality and I think bringing him back for, for the season on loan is a, a massive plus because a lot of the other recruitment they've done um, is you know massive change in terms of, of players in the forward line. Um, I don't know how to say his name yet, so I'd love a Stoke fan to tell me, but um, the lad from French Farosh may uh, started up front and didn't really look on it, but Vidigal off the left, who came in from Portugal um, with a couple of goals, didn't do a great deal apart from the goals, but you know a couple of really nice finishes and, and, a, and a hell of a way to start your your um, time at a club. The player that probably stood out the most was was Daniel Johnson, who looked very. I mean, obviously scoring goals is is, is more impressive, but I think Johnson looked very at home in this system. Um, he's someone who we know has quality on the ball. Um, and I think playing for Alex Neal and playing for a side who probably will dominate the ball a lot should really suit him, especially with two guys in behind and Pearson and Laurent who can do most of the running. So yeah, it was it was a really good win for them. I know the Cafu red card was uh, controversial. Um, it's it's one of those strange ones where, yes, he gets the ball, but I, it's not the, the, the nicest challenge, I wouldn't say uh, either. I, I'm not going to kind of bat for yeah, the side. Do you think it was one. one where the ref's basically gone like, I didn't like the way you approached that tackle. Yeah. And therefore, because we're trying to cut all instances of bad tackling out of the game, I'm going to basically book you for what seemed like over intent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, of um, the Adam Phillips red card where in like the playoff final against yeah, Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, which I was very adamant wasn't a red. So maybe if, if I'm going to be consistent, then I should be saying that Cafu, <laughs> Cafu isn't. But then, as you say, the, it feels like the the rules of or the you know the line has has moved now. Um, either way, it wouldn't really have made a difference. Frustrating for Cafu after his sparkling pre-season that he's now going to be suspended. Um, but Rotherham, yeah, I mean that for Stoke signs that they're going to be a, a team to look out for for Rotherham. You know. It, an away game at Stoke was always going to be a tricky first assignment and, and hopefully they can show what they're really about in, in coming games. The only thing I'd say that I was really disappointed about when it comes to Rotherham is looking at the team that they put out, a lot of height, a lot of beef. So to have conceded two goals from set pieces, not good enough. It can't, you know, if if Rotherham are going to achieve anything this season, you cannot afford to be a team, particularly one that's probably going to face a lot of set pieces on account of a low possession style. You cannot afford to be a big net negative set piece team. Otherwise, you just undermine all the hard work that you do outside of that. So absolutely have to get better. Um, ben Wilmot was colossal and, and he got both assists from those set pieces with first contact. So, um, you know, he is blossoming into a very, 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 very good defender at this level. And Stoke um, are lucky to have him. Josh Laurent with a really nice assist for that Hoover goal as well. Um, The four live TV games were absolutely brilliant. I mean, uh, you know, making me entertained on opening weekend was a low bar. Not not hard to achieve, but Jesus. I mean, from Saints-Sheffield Wednesday 2-1 on Friday night was probably the, the worst of the four, I'd say, from a neutral point of view. But then... That's only because Leicester Coventry was like a basketball match. Uh, Leeds Cardiff was highly entertaining with a uh, injury time equaliser, and then Sunderland Ipswich was about four football matches in one. Uh, George, which one of those do you want to tackle first? I think we'll start with Friday night, where you know Southampton set the record for passes completed in the first half of a Championship game ever, uh, which was some way for Russell Martin to announce himself at St Mary's. I think they attempted over 900 in the game, which was which was a lot. Thanks to the new directives. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was a really interesting game where, you know, I was kind of tweeting as, as we went 
and um, Sheffield Wednesday really disappointed me where I thought in the first five minutes we saw some intent from Wednesday and they caused Southampton some problems. You know, they were um, pressing their centre-backs who were playing and they had some joy. They got in behind a couple of times. Samson centre-backs don't look the quickest and they play a high line. And then they just dropped off massively and I, I just couldn't really work out what they were doing. And, and I, you know, I heard from a couple of Wednesday fans that it nearly worked. I don't think it didn't nearly work, really. I think they, the Saints took the lead through Adam Armstrong, which was a, a shot from Teller that Armstrong kind of diverted in off his um, back of his neck. Teller um, turned into Manuel Benson, by the way. I know. I don't remember him, certainly from the right side, cutting in and, and troubling the, the goal but, with too many left foot shots. But in the in their last preseason friendly, he hit the bar with an absolute howitzer with his left peg, weaker foot yeah. from the right. And then he'd already had one in that game before he, his shot that Armstrong deflected. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... Um, he's playing a, a very different role, I guess, to what he played at Burnley. And that, I was going to get on to Teller because after um, Lee Gregory scored a, a very good finish and showed off his his teeth work that's, that's been done over the summer. <laughs> Lovely uh, gnashes now for, for Lee. Blinding in the, in, the st- in the stands, I think. Yeah, so that, I mean, it was a great finish to be fair and they were back in the game. It was their only shot on target all game. They didn't really look threatening apart from the first five minutes and then. And then I was really, really disappointed in, in Southampton from, from then till the, till the end of the game where they... That a lot of possession. I think Smallbone is going to have a wonderful season as the as the Championship Chavi, just sitting in front. I mean, he's going to the amount of passes he's going to get through is going to be a total joke. But the the, the possession was, was fairly stale, and it, and it just felt like basically towards the end of the game, it was just shifted to Teller and kind of hope that he might be able to to do something. It was one moment of real quality from War Prowse um, to kind of make that run into the into that right hand channel and good vision to pick out. Adams who kind of skewed it into the into the far corner with a good finish like it was one moment of quality to win a game in a game where I think Saints completely controlled it and weren't really threatened defensively but I think and it's you know it's, it's the beginning of a process Martin is a process driven manager and it's not a massive surprise that you know they were fairly solid at the back but, but were quite stunted going forward they got the win that was important um, and I'm sure we'll see them improve but again we still sit here having no idea which of those players you know Walker Peters or Prowse, Teller, like, are these players still going to be there in a couple of weeks? It's funny you say that because those three down the right side looked brilliant and that, that was where Saints looked more dangerous. The left side was mostly Idozi 1v1 dribbling against Callum Patterson where he had certainly a lot of joy getting past Patterson in the first half, albeit his final ball or, or shot was mostly poor. Patterson got booked and I was pretty worried about him and then it was almost like the booking sharpened Patterson's mind and concentration because he was brilliant against Adozi in the second half. I, I think I'm with you. I, I, I'm not. I'm, tr- I'm basically desperately trying not to take too many conclusions for either side here. I think we learn a lot more about Wednesday in the next few weeks where they've got Hull, Preston, Cardiff up next for them. What will their approach be? How will they attack? How intense and aggressive will they be out of possession? I'd say these are questions that I don't feel we can answer right now um, because of the, the specificity of a, of a fixture against a Russell Martin team. And as for... Uh, Southampton, I'm not going to get too carried away. They were able to get into the final third any time they wanted, but I think that's partly because Wednesday were just always going to struggle to disrupt them higher up than that. I know that that's what you wanted to see. I I guess an ex- a reason might be I'm not sure they have the players and the physicality to actually do that for 
any more than five minutes at the start of the game. Bannon, basically behind Gregory, is not a pressing monster machine, I'm afraid. Uh, Leicester Coventry was, as I mentioned, just breathless stuff. The first half in particular felt like Leicester would attack and then Coventry would hit them on the break. And both of them looked like at any moment, if they just executed that last action, they would score, um, as it was. Coventry didn't do that. Sims and Godden quite wasteful in, in good opportunities, but had plenty of them. Uh, Leicester didn't quite get it right in the in the last action either, but it was very fun, very fraught, not a lot of control in the game. Uh, and then Coventry took the lead. Who I thought they were impressive, for sure. McFadgen was brilliant, not just the goal that he scored from an excellent uh, Gus Harmer corner, but also defensively made some, some big interventions. Um, Harmer was a joke, as always. You know, he finished the season playing at a ridiculously high level, impacting every single game. You know, it was, his, it was actually his goals, not Jokeresh's goals, that got Coventry all the way to the playoff final and almost got them to the Premier League just in that last month or two was when he stepped up. Uh, I thought he played brilliantly amidst transfer speculation and links to Leeds. Um, Casey Palmer, I thought, was very encouraging in the number 10 role, but Leicester turned it around uh, and they did so with some good goals. If this is Leicester in their process rather than in their final form, then, you know, for the rest of the league, they've got to hope that the process takes a while because they showed that when they're going to get it right because of the way that they attack and the players that they have, uh, they're going to be very, very difficult to keep out. Uh, Mavadidi and Pratt um, doing well in the build-up for Dewsbury Hall's first goal uh, and then another lovely, lovely goal to win it. Dewsbury posting it into the top corner. Um, looks like he is going to have a lot of fun in that kind of attacking number eight role, playing ahead of the ball and, and trying to impact things in the final third. Um, yeah, interesting. Leicester's tactics were fairly bonkers and left them unbelievably open and they didn't seem to care that much about it. Um, but another team on another day, I think, could have scored three or four against them. And there they are picking up all three points and showing uh, at the end uh, that they can be pretty spicy indeed. Uh, what about the Sunderland-Ipswich game, George? Uh, Ipswich, 2-1 winners. Topsy-turvy. Whew, tell yeah. me about it. Well, Sunderland came out and looked by far the better side in the first half. Looked really exciting. Kind of the players we've spoken about in pre-season. Um, Jack Clark on the left-hand side, Neil in midfield, um, and a couple of the additions as well they made over the summer. Just looked really lively. And it kind of... After all the talk about Ipswich coming into the campaign... Um, and especially their ability to, you know, to defend and not concede chances. It was Sunderland who, who created the better chances until it was Nathan Broadhead um, who got the opening goal, you know, against the run of play. But not, I mean, it wasn't like it was a, a massive smash and grab. But they, it was a decent finish from Broadhead, um, who then created the second goal with a brilliant pass through to Hurst, who fired into the into the roof of the net. And yeah, I mean, the first after half time until the Hurst goal, Ipswich were the Ipswich. I think we saw a lot last season uh, and then they nearly made it 3-0 with with Connor Chaplin nearly scoring from just inside his own half um, hitting the woodwork and I don't know what you thought but the decision not to give a, a penalty for the uh, foul on, on Hurst from the rebound of that I just couldn't work out at all it was almost as if the referee was so shocked by what he'd seen from the shot he kind of didn't really have the presence of mind to award what was quite blatantly a, a, a spot kick and you know then you 75 75% chance that Ipswich go and make it 3-0 uh, Tri Hume was then sent off for a really soft second yellow it's one of those where he's been naive and he's reached out and he's grabbed Leif Davis's arm uh, Davis has then thrown himself to the ground obviously he wasn't actually tripped but you can definitely see why the referee has given it given there is that kind of reach then out then he kicked the ball away so yeah yeah so he's, he's screwed anyway um, yeah exactly two yellows um but Sunderland continued to, to come forward. Neil scored um, to make it 2-1. 
and very late on a, a really big save from Hladki, who's had a, a torrid time as as Ipswich uh, since move, making move to Ipswich from Salford. You know, was brought in to be number one, was very poor, has lost his his space, and has only come in because Christian Walton is now injured for a couple of months, and he made a massive save to to stop it from from becoming two all. Um, I think basically you just take big positives for both sides from this. I think Sunderland were, were good uh, and showed some really exciting attacking patterns of play. I think Ipswich in, in flashes showed what they can be. You know, they've gone to a team that finished sixth last season, a team that very nearly got into the playoff final um, and have beaten them and, and easily could have beaten them by a wider margin than what we saw, even though in the first half they were um, second best. So, yeah, maybe all those people that couldn't understand why... Uh, People fancy Ipswich came away from that not being that impressed, but the result itself I think shows what they can do and I can guarantee you now that Town will play a lot better than that in some games this season. Um and you know, Sunderland some Sunderland fans thought they kicked they, they kinda of shot themselves in the foot by letting their performance levels drop. Yeah, I think that might be a trend. Um not with Sunderland, but with teams feeling like they, they let their performance levels drop against Ipswich. It was a yeah, a big three points for them. And in between those two we saw Leeds United for the first time under Daniel Farker and Cardiff City for the first time under Errol Bullet. And it was a, another entertaining game. Plenty happened. Cardiff going 2-0 up in the first half, uh, defending their box brilliantly, keeping Leeds's four tricky wingers at bay and, uh, and scoring two on the break. We had Callum O'Dowder breaking forward uh, into a, a, a big space on Leeds' right-hand side. Uh, that move led to Josh Bowler scoring a debut goal. Bowler's um, news was uh, tweeted first, if you're interested, by at NTT20pod. We were the ones to uh, share that we'd been reliably informed... We broke it. ...that he'd be... We broke it, basically, is what we're saying. So if you'd always thought to yourself, shame they don't do transfer news, well, welcome to the next stage. Great pickup for Cardiff and straight into the team, straight onto that right-hand side, straight into doing what he does, which is uh, bounce one-twos off other players or just um, slalom his way through defenders. He's a, a really, really good ball carrier at the level when fit and confident. Ugbo scored the second. Uh, more good work down the right-hand side for Cardiff. Um, but Leeds got plenty in the second half, plenty of opportunities. Got the the first goal from a header from Liam Cooper, flying high to head home from the set piece and then horrible landing really where it looks like he, he's picked up a knee injury where um, that is hugely concerning for, for Leeds United. Um, and in the end, one of Leeds' very exciting uh, attacking midfield slash wide players, as Somerville it was, uh, latched onto a deflected effort in injury time and it was a really good, crisp finish kind of on the half volley into the corner of the net to, to earn Leeds a point. Broadly, what we expected to see from Daniel Farker tactically, he's going to let Maresca and Russell Martin do you know some fairly extreme stuff and in the meantime, he's going to set up in a 4-2-3-1. He's not going to be inverting fullbacks in the main. Uh, Hjelda and Ailing just were, were very traditional uh, fullbacks in this system. Uh, he's going to have a sitting midfielder, which was Ampadu. He's going to have a box-to-box midfielder that was 17-year-old Archie Gray, who really caught the eye. We'd already been told quite a lot about him. And yes, very exciting to see 17-year-old playing like that, a bit like Bellingham at Sunderland. And uh, and then four in front, where I think we can expect to see a striker when there's a striker fit. And then three, you know, dribbly, creative types behind. And, and Leeds certainly well-stocked on that front. Uh, so Leeds 2, Cardiff 2. One of the big winners surprise winners, long odds winners, George, of the championship weekend were Millwall. We went to Borough. Mike Holden of Fox Punter fame before the game said he'd looked at this one and he thought Gary Rowett would look at those Coventry Middlesbrough playoff games and think 
yeah, I think we can broadly do similar to that. I think we can keep them at bay, and I think we can cause them problems on the break. That's what they did. They did. They won 1-0, and they were good value for it as well. Um, I did the half-time of the game I was at. I went through all the games in the championship and looked at the shot maps, and this was the one where I was like, wow, okay, interesting, where Millwall were, were creating by far the better chances. They looked to have having the better of the game, and going back and watching it, I think what, what Mike says is exactly right. They looked to frustrate Barrow where possible and had loads of joy uh, on the break when, when they did go forward. Um you know, they were were pretty shot happy, which we come to expect from a team with the Zian Fleming in it, but they also created decent opportunities as well. Um, the goal itself came from Romain Essay, who is one of a few uh, starlets to announce themselves on opening day. He only turned 18 in May, so he's a, a young 18, uh, a really nice composed finish into the, um, you know, back across goal into the top left-hand corner uh, with 10 minutes to go. Um, you and I spoke to Joe Bryan about him on Wednesday and, you know, Joe was, was pretty effusive in praise about where he could go. Um, you know, he, when you meant, asked him if there were any young players stuck out for, Essa was the one that he he, he pointed out um, and he's made an impact straight away. And this is a, you know, it's, it's been a very difficult couple of months for Millwall um, and John Barrelson, their owner, passing away tragically over the course of the summer, somebody who was eminently po- popular at the Den. Um, uh, you know, I think it's a fair reflection on his ownership to see how consistently Millwall are able to punch above their weight and how competitive they are in the championship. And they are definitely a side who, you know, if they take another step forward on last season, there's no reason whatsoever why they can't be a top six side. And going to Middlesbrough, one of the fancy teams, and not having much of the ball, but having the better of the chances and getting the three points, um, a huge win for them. And um, yeah, a sign that we can anticipate that they're going to be upwardly mobile this season. Upwardly mobile. Plymouth Argyle. 13 years ago, went into administration, docked, points, relegated, back-to-back from champ all the way down to League Two and had to really grind it to get back to championship level. But that's where they are now. And they started with a home park win, which will have come as a shock to absolutely no one that watched Plymouth Argyle at home park last season, where they had a frankly absurd record of 20 wins, one draw and two defeats, 61 points from their 23 games. I must admit, George, of of all the games this weekend, this was the one where the energy and excitement from the crowd hit home most for me. Uh, It has been an amazing journey for our guy. The last few years have been incredible. um, And here they are winning games at championship level. The atmosphere was electric. Uh, and the team matched it with the way that they played. You know, this was in typically Argyle fashion, quite an open game. Uh, even when they were ahead 2-1 up, there were moments where I thought Huddersfield looked like they, you know, they had chances to play themselves in. Uh, and Argyle didn't seem to be, you know, they seemed to be probably as fussed about scoring a goal to put them two up as they did about stopping Huddersfield scoring. And I, I don't hate that mentality. There'll be plenty of games where it goes horribly wrong. But the value in going two goals ahead rather than just sitting on a one-goal lead and, and kind of hoping for the best, are, are basically proven. So I, I kind of like that that's the way that they approach things. Um, Morgan Whitaker signed permanently, scores six shots in total for Whitaker. Shock. Uh, he absolutely loves it. Brilliant to see. 
Um, I thought Diara looked very lively for Huddersfield in attack, um, but certainly not their best performance here. And uh, no one could stop Barley Mumba, who picked what the ball up goal. on the left-hand touchline and slalomed inside, dipped inside two players. His, his speed with carrying the ball, plus that low centre of gravity where he can just feint and go either way, uh, you know, at the, at the drop of a hat, so difficult for defenders to, to stop. And he just went straight through the middle and smashed home. So um, fantastic day for Argyle to get that win. I don't know if you saw Warnock's interview afterwards. Uh, it was one of uh, a few from this game that we saw on the Saturday Night Highlight Show. And uh, he, I wasn't sure if I had a problem with this or not when it comes to my rating of Huddersfield. He said very openly, I stayed on as a favour for Kevin, the new owner. And he said, I was worried that it would be too much change if, along with the new owner and lots of turnover overall, and with this squad, which is quite a weird championship squad when you look at it, like somehow both big, but also maybe not that good on paper. He went, I thought I thought if I left as well, it could be problematic. But I don't know if I like that being the narrative to start a hey, championship season. I said already it's the first step of him being like, you know, does he fancy this? If he's already saying it's a favour after one defeat on the road um, to a team who are, the bookies would have as one of the relegation favourites, I'm just not convinced this is, you know... Y- y- as I said in the in the Stokes comparison in the, in the one to twenty fours, when there's something to be shot at, he's in you know invigorized and he's ready to 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 lead a team towards a target. Right now, that's a, a worrying soundbite. I have to say, um, interesting tactically as well that we saw. Um, you know, you and I have discussed how Plymouth Argyle were going to fit Kane Kessler Hayden and Barley Mumber into the same side. Two guys who are naturally, I would say, attacking right backs, left back and left wing. There you go. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> that was great fun. I like that a lot. Um, George, which of the two one home wins do you want to talk about? Norwich 2, Hull 1 or Blackburn 2, West Brom 1? I think Norwich 2, Hull 1 is interesting. Um, it's amazing noise. Thank you. It's, when it's, it's my thinking noise. Yeah, Hull took the lead uh, through a, a Liam Delap goal, which is, is massive for him um, You know, after two disappointing loans last season. I feel like with with loanees like that, you really need buy-in from everyone. And if he, you know, that announces himself to the club, it gets fans on side and hopefully gives him a bit of confidence to show what he's about because I don't think we've seen it necessarily yet. Really nice finish as well. But Norwich came back into the game and did so with some seriously impressive um, chant creation, basically. Um, they had no issue whatsoever creating chances against against Hull. Um, their XG was near three, I think, over the course of the game compared to Hull's 0.39, yeah, 2.73, 0.39. I think Gabriel Sara had nine key passes. Yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> one of two things has happened here in my mind. Either Norwich could be really quite good or Hull a, a massive concern because I think, yes, you don't want to make sweeping conclusions. And yes, game state would have affected this to an extent with Hull going ahead after 17 minutes, but... When you see one side creating that level, that volume of good opportunity, then something somewhere has either gone very wrong or very right. Um, a brilliant goal from the latest player that you can sing his name to, Jai Ho. John Rowe! Yeah, brilliant goal um, and a lovely assist. Sorry, a lovely assist, a lovely interview, I would say afterwards, where he's... Uh, just seems really buzzing to be there. Like kept going, 
when he was asked how he felt, which is a, a nice touch. Again, another example of why the EFL is the best when you get like down to earth, nice people who aren't that media trained, just buzzing to be there. Oh, I'm elated, man. I'm literally speechless <laughs> that is literally the perfect way to start our season after obviously last season and it's the work we've done during pre-season I feel like the team's worked really hard to you know um, get the three points and uh, put in a mature performance so especially winning like that as well last minute so <laughs> literally I'm, I'm, I'm very excited very excited and surely you must have heard the Carrow Road crowd singing your name out there. Of course, man. Literally, I've, I've told you time and time again, I love I love the fans, man. Literally. Uh, pff, speechless, man. <laughs> this is it's a good feeling. Very good feeling. Yeah, so he is someone to look out for. Another one of these guys, you know, like Esso, who I mentioned a second ago, um, who's kind of burst onto the scene I guess I think he's had some injury issues recently um, played a bit in the Premier League a couple of years ago but but looks to I mean a, a goal of the highest quality um, and then a late show with Adam Ida um, scoring a kind of stabbing home from close range with a couple of minutes to go so a completely deserved three points for Norwich um, and I'm really intrigued to see you know I, I've been fairly negative about um, them all summer about David Wagner and whether he's the suitable person to take them forward but you know, if they can replicate this level of dominance against other sides in the championship, then um, yeah, it could be really exciting. But you know, by the same measure, if I'm sitting in this seat and saying Watford fans can't get excited for beating QPR four 0 then yeah, let's wait and see what Hull are actually about before making any big judgments. Blackburn beat West Brom two one. Really exciting attacking play. In particular, it felt like a few times in the first half and in the second half when they would seize the ball in midfield, quick transition attack, and then the front four, Dolan, Markanday, Smodix, and young Harry Leonard, the academy graduate, who scored his first senior goal, as did Markanday, I should say, um, who was a, a, a former Spurs academy graduate. Um, they looked absolutely electric on the break, and I think that's quite exciting for, for Rovers. We know that Yondell Thomason has coached some pretty patient build up uh, in their own defensive third and that was a bit of a sticking point at times last season and games where it wasn't working um, they really you know looked pretty abject and yet if it does help draw the opposition onto them and if they can get the ball into the final third or into even into the middle third with these attacking players you know with their speed and their movement their combinations um, looks like a, a very good avenue for, for Blackburn so that really excited me um, West Brom not at their best uh, should have had a penalty for me for a foul on Wallace there was another one they wanted that I didn't think um, really merited a, a spot kick but will feel a bit hard done by and, and did score a lovely goal through Matt Phillips but uh, not a great start to the season for them I felt Looking at the, the lineups, I really felt like West Brom could and should have, have had a, a bigger threat from set pieces. Blackburn, um, you know, for all that I've said, I love their um, small, quick attacking quad. Um, they are quite a small team physically. Even Tronstad, the new guy in midfield, is, is not, a, uh, not a big guy. Um, Pickering and Rankin Costello, the fullbacks, they're not particularly aerially dominant, I wouldn't say. So Haim and Carter have got a big old job defending uh, their box from set pieces. But uh, Ajayi, Kipre, Furlong, uh, Chalaber. 
Townsend to an extent. I felt like there'd be a threat there, but um, it didn't manage to come to fruition. Uh, we also saw the worst kickoff of the weekend here, uh, just after Blackburn went one up. West Brom took a kickoff, found its way to the feet of Cedric Kipre, and he thought they were playing a game of hot potato, and he did not want the potato, so he gave it straight to a Blackburn attacker, and they scored their second goal in, in a matter of minutes. Uh, we also had a couple of one-all draws. Bristol City and Preston Drew 1-1 at Ashton Gate. Uh, it was Sam Bell who opened the scoring for Bristol City. I think significant, really, uh, that he started in that left-sided forward role over Anis Mometi. Uh, is it because Pearson wants goal output from that position? Is it because he wants um, pressing intensity out of position uh, out of that position? Is it because he would prefer to bring on Mometi to run at tired legs in the second half? Uh, all interesting questions. Uh, worked well here. Bell uh, scored one and went close with another. But big Will Keane equalised for Preston on his second debut for them. Um, no shock here, as I said at the time, and in the 1-24s for me, it's one of the best signings of the Championship summer. One of the most sort of under the radar, one of the ones that will be considered pretty unexciting. Will Keane from Wigan to Preston for an undisclosed fee. But the fact that he's 30, not 20, means that he's not considered a sexy player. But he's a very, very good player. And I really believe it could be one of the, the sort of value pickups of the summer. Uh, and then Swansea drew one all with Birmingham. Siriki Dembele and Jerry Yates both scoring on their league debuts for their new clubs. Uh, two favourite players of ours, I think it's fair to say. We also saw a disgusting pass from Matt Grimes in the build-up to Swansea's equaliser and a pretty lively debut from Carl Rushworth who was part of a mix-up at the back that led to Dembele's goal uh, but also made a couple of very sharp saves in the second half. Uh, last championship note, loads of young goal scorers this weekend which is giving me great energy. A lot of them academy graduates as well. Romain Esser of Millwall, Bell, Bristol City, Ida and Rowe from Norwich. Uh, and Harry Leonard of, of Blackburn, Dan Neal, uh, I suppose, fits the bill there, although a bit more established. Loads of other young goal scorers. We love it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Heading into League One, where we had a, a very exciting weekend. We had the biggest winners of the EFL weekend, George. Wow. Uh, Barnsley, seven. Port Vale, Nil. Neil Collins' first game in English football management, replacing Mike Duff in the Barnsley dugout. 7-0 to the Barnsley Buccaneers. Mate, call them... Ha, I was about to say call them by their full name. Which is? Barnsley 12th. <laughs> Barnsley 12th. Barnsley 12th. That prediction's aged like milk. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, I mean, incredible start to life for, for Neil Collins. and um, <laughs> Incredible start to life for Neil Collins. At Barnsley. <laughs> At Barnsley 12th. Um, yeah, with a 7-0 win. Um, Devante Cole, 
showing that he doesn't need the stardust in order to continue scoring goals. Um, I Can I just say, almost my favourite thing of the whole weekend was Nicky Cadden just ushering the ball in and, and not prodding it home for, for Cole's third goal. Um, you know, I, I don't want to dampen any enthusiasm. It is my job to point out that the XG for this game was 1.8, 0.75. Just, just going to say it. You know, it was a, a, a day where... Uh, Barnsley had 12 shots, eight on target, and seven of them went well. Six of them went in because because of, of the own goal as well. Um, Port Vale had a couple of opportunities uh, in the first half. You know, it was it was a fairly even game up until half time, and then after that, Barnsley absolutely ran away with it. Um, but you know, after a summer of um, turbulence and change, with Duff leaving, with Anderson leaving, you know, with Norwood now leaving as well, I know that he wasn't as important as those two. But like, you know, there, there is a period here of of, of change. And a few players brought in, of which of quality we're not entirely sure from non-league. Getting a result like this over the line on opening days is massive. You know, it brings massive buy-in from the fans to, towards Collins. Um, you know, we've I've kind of been assuming that Callum Styles will probably move on at some point over the window. He started here and was superb. Like if he can, if they can retain him. There's absolutely no way he should be playing League One football in, in my mind. Um, Andy Dallas came on and scored an unbelievable header late on. Everything just went right, really. It was the, it was the perfect opening day um, for, for Barnsley. Uh, Port Vale, you know, a, a worrying trend of form at the back end of last season continues here. But as I say, the the XG wasn't as bad. Maybe the performance wasn't quite as bad as the, the scoreline suggests. But the flip is true here where Andy Crosby needs to get fans on side early and, and a 7-0 defeat on opening day makes that quite tricky. Some absolutely ridiculous assists in this game one, one from O'Keefe one from Herbie Kane one from Barry Cotter um, incredible basically a whole season's worth of, of highlight real assists in one game um, yeah I think the last thing that sprang to mind just as part of an obviously kind of excited reaction to this is that the Barnsley owners have, have got a lot of stick over the last few years. Um, their approach is very extreme and it's very unusual, particularly in terms of squad building, but also in terms of their manager recruitment, you know, hiring Neil Collins from Tampa Bay, not Buccaneers, Rowdies. Um, is that the Bucks? <laughs> to um, modern day Ted Lasso, to um, to replace Mike Duff. You know, it's it. that's the sort of appointment that is, is going to have the average football fan a little bit nervy because it's just so non-traditional um, and I think it can be a bit uncomfortable and of course you know they were a championship club a championship playoff club a few years ago they had a horrendous season things went south very quickly and and you know a lot of the bl- the blame was laid at their door understandably but I would say because the club are so strong on a certain identity and that is in a playing style intensity out of possession quick attacking transitions they can hire managers knowing, well, they can hire managers on a very specific stylistic remit. They don't bend to those managers in terms of of saying, okay, and you can have a window where you can sign six players that you can get in to play your certain way. You know, lose an epic manager, get a guy in that you know as close to possible as, as certain that his style will suit the players that you have because you've signed them on account of their suitability for that style. I do think that that is a good approach. And they have, other than that one horrendous year, where... um shop and then as baggy were clearly very poor appointments for the situation other than that they've got an incredible track record at hiring managers definitely a better hit rate than most clubs uh, over the last six or seven managers or so so uh, interesting to see and, and obviously an amazing start to neil collins's life how about derby one wigan two pre-season favorites for the division versus minus eights wigan minus fives wigan 
Thank you very much. 2-1 winners. Yeah, narrative busting here. Um, and Derby were quite concerningly poor, I would say. Um, not to take any credit away from Wigan. You know, we, we mentioned their stellar um, front you know, their front men that, they, that they're able to, to to bring in here. And White felt the one who's maybe the, the most risky, I guess. You know, with McGuinness, you know what you're going to get with Humphreys. I think that's the same Lang too. But with White, off the back of, you know, his heart attack, um, with his pacemaker being fitted with some fitness issues as well, you know, he's the one where you're thinking like, yeah, it's a massive bonus if he's if he's able to come in and have an impact. But, but I mean, he already has with, with two massive goals here. And, um, you know, if you think back to a couple of seasons ago, Charlie White was was the hottest property um, in League One in terms of, of strikers. When you consider the alleged, um, you know, the, the financial package that it took to get him out of Sunderland and to Wigan, um, it's easy to, you know, because of what's happened, it's easy to forget just how good he can be. Uh, but he showed it here. Derby were, were, were fairly, you know, it's, it's kind of not a massive surprise when you look through their team, but there was, wasn't a great deal of creativity. Get it wide and whip it in. Yeah, I mean, you've still got Harrahan and Bird starting as, as, the, as the holding two, and you think you'd want to just get the ball through them much more than they actually do. But instead, uh, Forsyth on the left, who scored a decent finish, to be fair. Um, and uh, Joe Ward on the right-hand side, who was just whipping balls in whenever he could. Uh, Kane Wilson coming on very late. Um, it just didn't really work, and I think it's going to be fairly easy to... Uh, to, for, for teams to set up to try and negate but again you know Wigan are, are probably the side in the hold of the EFL where it's hardest to grasp kind of where they are right now um, I think some people expect them to be not, not much better than relegation standards some think they could be one of the better teams in the league so we'll see how this ages but um, yeah a brilliant start for Sean Maloney in his first season in charge for Derby you know work to do but um, I'm sure they'll bounce back yeah uh, Dean Ashton former colleague of ours on the Highlight Show. Uh, he was at this game for Talk Sport, I believe, and he was really impressed with Wigan and in particular the distribution, the bravery showed by their back line. I mean, it is an unbelievably young back line. You've got the goalkeeper, Sam Tickle, who's just 21. You've got Sean Clare at right back, 26, but then Charlie Hughes, 19, Liam Morrison, 20, and then Tom Pierce, 25. Those centre-backs huge part of build-up. Sam Tickle, huge part of build-up and they handled it really, really well. Um, very, very impressive. Then you've got Smith at the base of midfield. He was receiving the ball in a lot of tight situations and, and dealt with it really well. Uh, and Asgard basically playing in the pivot with uh, with Smith, which I would not have expected, but which, you know, you have to say, we probably weren't necessarily expecting to talk about a Wigan win when they was slated to go away to Derby first up. And I'm delighted to be able to talk about some kind of fun and positive and successful tactical bits and bobs as well for Sean Maloney. So a lot of positives there, uh, albeit clearly Derby's errors at the back were, were kind of the main factor in Wigan's two goals. But a great start to the season. Bolton had a great start to the season. Top of our 1-24s to and they scored with their first shot of the season. Corner, header from Idale, goal. Scored another corner, header by Adeboyejo, goal. Uh, and got another one right at the end. Um, and there's something about scoring your first shot of the season when you've been predicted to win the league, that's just kind of perfect. Oh, you just You could see them, you know, five years' time. They go, remember remember when we won the league in 23-24? We just scored the first shot of the season. We just never looked back. Um, Exeter fans. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and Watford fans and yeah. Sutton United fans. Uh, I don't make the rules. That's who's winning the league. Cambridge, Cambridge fans. Cambridge fans. Um, yeah, looking at Bolton's team, I mean... 
I quite like it really. Two new players, Baxter and Cogley, the goalkeeper in the right wing back. Then two players that joined in Jan, who you now think have kind of got their feet under the table. That's Randall Williams at left wing back and Adeboyejo up front, who, who got a, a, a good goal. And uh, and then just, you know, bedding the rest in. Mendes Gomez came off the bench. Paris Magoma came off the bench. Lundulu and Jerome are going to be the ones to, to kind of um, bring the second wind up top. Uh, and Thomason as, as the midfield option as well. So uh, all... So far, so good, really, for, for our uh, anointed League One champions. Uh, Wickham near Leicester 3 was nutty. George, absolutely nutty. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I heard when I was sitting in the... Our game, the Oxford game, had just kicked off because we had a minute's applause before, so we kicked off a bit late. And as we kicked off, I heard someone behind me say, Wickham is 2-0 down. And I was like, what? What? That can't be right. <laughs> Before you'd even kicked off. Literally as we were kicking oh, off, yeah, because we kicked off at like 3.04. Um, crazy. I mean, uh, given that Wickham are over, you know, going through a transition period where Ainsworth is out and, and Matt Bloomfield's come in and he's definitely, just, you know, despite being someone who played in under under Gareth Ainsworth at Wickham and, and you know, is very well versed in his style of play, um, he's definitely trying to change the way that they um, they operate and, you know, trying to bring in more technically gifted players. And, and when you look, the, the, the kind of starkest thing for me, I guess, when you look through their their team on um, on Saturdays, and are, you know, is Bloomfield trying to do too much too soon? Because you look at the, the, the team that started the game compared to the team that ended the game. And you can see there that a lot of the guys who have been massive positive forces um, for for Wickham over the last two or three seasons, Vokes, um, McCleary, even um, Farino, who and and Scowen too. These are they were the they were the four players that came in. Brecken, who's on loan from um, Kian Brecken, who's on loan from Manchester City, was taken off. Centre midfield was taken off at half time, having completed four of eight passes, despite being two 0 down after four minutes. Potts on loan from West Ham was also hooked after an hour. Um, yeah, it, it maybe just feels like it's, it's all happening a bit quickly. I mean, massive credit to Exeter, who scored through Jack Aitchison and Will, Will Ameson to tune up after four minutes. Sam Nombe missed a penalty after nine minutes. So feasibly, Wickham could have been 3-0 down after nine minutes. Um, and the biggest concern for me about Wickham isn't even necessarily that. It's just the fact that they were completely toothless for the rest of the game. 2-0 down at home against a side who many are predicting will be, including us, involved in a relegation battle. And you can't fashion any kind of pressure or territory. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty concerned off the back of this for Wickham for Exeter. It's a it's a brilliant start. Like really, after losing some some players over the course of the summer, um, you know this is a way to just steady the ship. I mean, massive similarities in my mind about this win for Exeter and, and Cambridge's win against Oxford, where it's kind of a message to everyone saying, hold on, you know, don't rule us out yet. Very exciting. Initial energy from the, the front three, Mitchell, Aitchison and Anombe caused so many problems. You'd hope for Wickham's point of view that they don't concede three more shambolic goals than that this season because it really was, yeah, there'll be panic stations fairly quickly if so. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about what happened at the Abbey Stadium when uh, Oxford United travelled to Cambridge United and lost 2-0. Mark gives me a bonner mm. is the t-shirt that some Cambridge fans wear. Yeah, I didn't wear one of those. Um, Maybe you should start. Your massive pre-season optimism around Oxford was, was pretty quickly extinguished. Squashed. Uh, in the away stand. Um, They're good at home. 
They are Even good when at they're home. bad overall, they're normally pretty good at home. Yeah, the, the first half, I mean, Gasana had me is um, a handful. <laughs> you know, he is someone who can really put himself about. He harries defenders really well. He's really physical. Um, wins headers. You know, he gave Elliot Moore an absolute torrid time in the first half. Um, Oxford caught out playing out from the back. Uh, Kieran Brown. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's probably another time and a place for this. But for me, the way that Liam Manning likes to play football suits playing a back three with two high full backs rather than playing a flat back four um it was really stale in possession a ball being moved side to side a lot without really any penetration um a brilliant second goal from uh from Ahabmi uh after the first from Lancaster both of them made by by Jana um the first of which kind of came from a, a shot from a frankly ludicrous place to shoot from which James Beadle parried back into Lancaster's path the second, just a, a really good bit of play down the left-hand side and a quality delivery in for Habme, who had Kieran Brown on toast for the for the header. The second half was better from Oxford, but me and Cambridge just sat in kind of two banks for four. Morrison and Bennett are going to be very good uh, as a centre-back duo of holding on to leads when they can kind of sit in and, and not have to worry too much about the, the space in behind. What I would say, the only positive from an Oxford point of view, well, actually, Stan Mills looked very lively when he came on, missed a decent chance, but Ruben Rodriguez didn't really get on the ball at all in the first half which was the failing of, of Oxford as a team but like on the, in the second half his, his vision and execution of difficult high risk balls in the final third is I mean that was a, a very small sample size but like if he does that for the rest of the season he's going to be um, he's going to be somebody who is going to get a lot of assists and pre-assists and the rest of it because he looks dynamite so that was the one positive to take away I, I've got very few uh, concerns that he won't make the step up successfully um, but and I think Oxford will probably enjoy playing on a slightly bigger pitch when at home you know that Cambridge pitch is short and thin um, but yeah well done to Cambridge uh, uh, you know uh, definitely deserved three points because they were far far the better team when when the scores were level and um, and didn't really have to worry too much apart from one or two saves from Stevens in the second half yeah well Mark Bonner had a good record has always had a good record with goal scorers uh, Mullen of course, in League Two, Ironside to a lesser extent. Sam Smith, the last two seasons as well. Could Ahadme be the next striker to benefit from Bonner's stardust? Brilliant start to the season for Cambridge. Winning start to the season for Peterborough as well. They went to Reading and won 1 0. And it's their new captain. And it's one of our favourite players in the division. And it was Efron Mason Clark. He'd gone close with a, a shot from outside the box that was parried wide by Buzanis and then scored. Sort of goal you just don't see very often. Van Basten header. A Van, a Van Basten header. A deep cross to the back stick, over the head of all the defenders. Mason Clark, I mean, he must have been... How far do you reckon he was from the byline? A metre or less? Inches. And he managed to... He must have somehow put some curl on the header. What I didn't understand is Bazanis' reaction was if like he knew off the head that it was going to go in. It kind of looped over and he was just like, oh, that's a shame. It, huh. moved, it, was, it was very bizarre. Maybe be. it's one of those that from any other angle wouldn't have looked that weird yeah. but for some reason from the angle that we got wind it was windy oh it was windy maybe he used the wind he's a smarter player than i realized um a, a, you know an, a match winning performance from a player that we expect to be one of the best and most effective attacking players in the division uh, this year uh, positives for reading well the embargo was lifted um which meant that they were able to register charlie savage a uh, lewis wing came off the bench um, the starting eleven was was you know okay. I still think that the natural inclination of the Reading fan base, and frankly from most fan bases, is to 
somewhat overrate certain players in their squad, um, particularly you know when they don't necessarily know the league that they're in that well and they're not able to look at the context of the other clubs and, and sort of know those players that well. I've certainly seen what I perceive to be a, a bit of an overrating or over-positivity about the names that Reading have. Um, you know, depth is, is the main issue for me. I understand that the starting eleven, you know, looks just about okay, but it is a back line. You know, Yeardom, Holmes, McIntyre, Guinness, Walker, I sort of, part of me feels like that's one of the most strongest parts of the team because it's kind of settled. And yet, as a unit, they've conceded a lot of goals over the last 12 months, you know, albeit at a higher level. So um, I think that back line needs to prove itself. Up front, we had Andy Carroll and the youngster Kelvin Ebib Hationum. Um, and, you know, again, that's a a player very much in the twilight of his career that certainly has some real strengths, uh, aerially in particular, but certainly has some limitations and potentially in terms of building a really strong out-of-possession team. He could become a bit of a problem up top, Carroll, or he could be a great uh, benefit. You're still asking a lot from a group of young players that, that just haven't played a lot of senior football. You know, Aziz um, started off the right, always looked like a, a good player, but he's only started 10 senior matches for Reading. Um even Charlie Savage, you know, you hope that he's going to be a quality loanee because he comes from an elite academy. But we don't know that for sure. He's alongside Sam Hutchinson in midfield, more in the Andy Carroll, Carroll mould, where again, like you just, you know what he can bring and the leadership and the experience and the know-how and the savvy. But he's also got some very clear limitations, um, not least remaining available, not least, you know, avoiding silly cards, not least the fact that he's not as mobile and he's, he's not particularly good on the ball. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of work to do, I think, uh, in the next four weeks. And hopefully um, Mark Bowen and uh, and the team at Reading can can build a squad that looks like it has a little bit more depth and players that, that we can just be more confident, can just hit the ground running and be part of a really good Reading team. Uh, a 1-0 defeat, but certainly not a terrible performance by any means. Um, and I think a bit more positives, uh, even having lost, than there would have been after uh, listening to some very negative 1-24 to predictions. Uh, how about Blackpool 2, Burton 0? Just Shane Lavery, truffle pig. Just truffling out some pigs. He loves it. Pigging some truffles. Um, yeah, I mean, this was a, a good return back to uh, League One for Neil Critchley. And Blackpool, um, a brilliant finish for the second goal as well from Lavery um, with a, one of those nice scoops. Mm, um, lovely scoop. Burton quite surprisingly poor, I would say, you know, after what we saw last season under Dino Mamria. We've seen a big churn of players, but despite being 2-0 down after 20-odd minutes, they were unable to to really come back and, and get a foothold in the game whatsoever. So um, this was, of all the games, I guess, just a regulation win by the side that you'd expect to win, who showed they can be pretty good. And, you know, for, for Burton, it's a tough away game to start the season. I'm sure Mamre will have some uh, easier assignments in the future circled as, as where they can impose themselves. Looking very strong out of possession. Ollie Norburn bringing some quality in possession. Uh, and Lavery looking very happy to be leading the line as well. A really strong start for them. Charlton beat Orient 1-0. Um, you know, favourites to win this game. But this is an Orient team that have not lost a lot of football matches in the last 12 months. And uh, I think this is a, probably a better result than maybe it looks on paper for, for Charlton. In particular because, you know, despite what you described as the best possible six-a-side team that you could make <laughs> based only on summer transfers. Played. Not many of them are in the team yet. Uh, 
Dean Holden has always been someone that, that gives youth players opportunities. And here we saw a Simway playing right back, right wing back rather, aged 18. Anderson in midfield, aged 18. Uh, Campbell uh, as a sort of second striker, aged 19. Um, and they, they got the job done. You know, Alfie May went very, very close, brought an incredible save out of Sol Brin. Um, and, uh, and Blackett Taylor looked an absolute menace down the left side, which is very, very exciting. Uh, Dobson scoring the winning goal. Tough start for Orient. Uh, didn't really manage to muster a huge amount going forward, which is probably going to be their main concern heading up the division and losing Paul Smith. They need to make sure that they find a way to, to consistently create chances. They didn't do that here, albeit Charlton away may well be among the, the most difficult fixtures you can have in this division this year. Uh, and then we had a, a really interesting game, George, between two of the promoted teams from last season, Northampton and Stevenage. Time to talk about our Lord and Saviour, Carl Piaggiani. Yeah, Pidge getting underway in League One with a goal, as uh, we'd anticipate. Not a massive surprise, this one was settled by a set piece. Um, we wasn't, wouldn't necessarily say it was the game of the highest quality. I thought Stevenage did, did well, um, but you know, up until the goal itself, I wouldn't say the team necessarily deserved um, the three points. Uh, Simpson missed uh, an opportunity um, early in the well, kind of halfway through the first half. Uh, excited to see him. You know, we saw there was that pace getting in behind, uh, and he kind of dragged a shot wide of the of the post. Um, but yes, I mean, this is. A new look Stevenage, I guess, with all the Thompsons in the side. Um, and But it was the same old story with uh, Pierre Gianni getting the, the all-important goal from a set-piece, keeping a clean sheet um, that has Stevenage fans pretty excited about the season ahead. So, um, yeah, good result. I love that Carl Pierre Gianni had made one League One appearance, appearance before this. He came off the bench for Peterborough for one minute in October 2010. Wow. Came on for George Boyd. 13 years later, back at this level, highest level he's played in for a team where he is loved and valued. Um, you know, the sort of player that's, you know, he got binned off by Salford. They were like, we don't want you to be part of our journey in the Football League. Um, had a good go at Oldham by the time he left. I don't think many Oldham fans were thinking they were going to miss him that much. And here he is in League One with Stevenage. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. It's why we love the pyramid. Um, Pierre Gianni winning games for Stevenage in League One. At Shrews also beat Cheltenham 1-0. Opening day always brings about some comedy goals, doesn't it? A mixture of rust, I think. Summer rust means that first touches can be a little loose. Uh, you also have the sort of communication aspect where players just haven't quite gelled yet. They haven't got that telepathy that you, you, you try and achieve after a few games. Um, we saw that really with Cheltenham here where Williams headed one back... Ricochet header back to his own goal, parried by the goalkeeper straight to the path of Ryan Bowman, who won it for Shrewsbury. Uh, and if Cameron Archer is going to stay in the Premier League with Aston Villa, we'll have to make do with Ryan Bowman for fans of arrow-based goal scorers. Right. Well done. The medieval archer. Um, a good start to the season for Shrews, you have to say. The Mickey you know, Moore derby. Mickey Moore derby. Um, and, you know, while they didn't have a shot Shrews until injury time in the first half. It's not like Cheltenham had mustered too much either. So it was a, a game that was slow to get going and decided by a bit of a comedy error at the back. So not a huge amount of conclusions to draw, I wouldn't say overall. We'll keep an eye on those two in the coming weeks for those conclusions. Uh, Portsmouth one all draw against Bristol Rovers. Uh, Luke Thomas scoring for Rovers and Cassini Yengi equalising. One of Pompey's many summer signings. This, this one they signed from Western Sydney Wanderers. It's called a lovely, quite, quite, quite an old school 
you know, climb above the centre back and head home a, a sort of looped cross. Very impressive equaliser from Yengi. Uh, and we saw two cracking goals in Carlisle Fleetwood. This one finished 1 1. Owen Moxon scoring a 30 yard free kick, just kissing the inside of the post. Some great alternative angles of that on social. And uh, Brendan Sarpong Wiredu. Sweet strike to equalise. Sweet, sweet strike. Carlisle won. Fleetwood won. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now we head to the shark-infested water of League Two, which looked pretty benign, George, because the three favourites for the division, Wrexham, Stockport, Notts County, all lost. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I think when you actually consider who Wrexham lost to and maybe who Stockport lost to, um, you know, they, they were two of the sharks we were talking about when we were talking about sharks, weren't they? Um, in Gillingham and MK Dons, you know MK come down. Let, let's start with with the the Wrexham game because you know Wrexham were preseason favourites. They come into this game against against an MK Dons side who still possess the likes of Moisa and Jonathan Lecco. Um, Ali, you said to me a couple of weeks ago that you thought Jonathan Lecco could get twenty goals and assists this season, and I'm disappointed that I don't think you said it in any of the preview content that we did. Some some things I like to keep to me and you keep the spark alive. The quality of the goals he scored as well um, suggests a guy who is playing at a level below himself and you know there is what three weeks to go the window whether or not Issa and, and Leco do stay there we don't know I also know that MK Dons fans find them both fairly frustrating in terms of their consistency and that you know that their quality is very clear but with the fact that they I mean it's a relegation season last season but they weren't able to, to show it enough um, frustrates them but you know MKR or on that evidence um we can see from Wrexham's time in the National League is that they favour chaos. Their games are incredibly high scoring. It doesn't really make any sense in my mind that Phil Parkinson oversees a, a team that just play this ridiculously open or just create these really open games. But that is what we saw again here. Um, MK Dons went ahead fairly early. Never really had their lead dangered. Um, it finished 5-3 and it was a really entertaining game. But let's not, you know... I wasn't particularly positive on Wrexham's chances or, or the reasons why they were top of the league and sorry, why they were favourites in League Two getting going into this. I also don't think we should read too much into kind of writing them off off the back of one home defeat on opening day. Similarly for Notts County, um, who went 1-0 down, you were at the game. Mm. 1-0 down early, man sent off early. <laughs> just to kind of draw a line through it, don't you? I think so. I, I think so. I've, I spent the rest of the game making sure I wasn't taking large conclusions uh, from the match because first minute, you know, that there are certain things that highlight 
frailties or vulnerabilities. Almost every team has frailties and vulnerabilities, so it's not specific to Notts County. But um, there was a ball into the channel when you know they do commit a lot of bodies forward in possession. Simple ball into the channel. Very speedy striker, Scott Kashkett, was ready for it. Got in front of the, the, the centre-back uh, and just uh, won a corner in the first minute. That was swung into the back post. Sutton have two players that are taller than six foot six. Um, so they were heavily marked. And then they've got a couple of lads who are six foot three. And, and one of them, Kizzy, scored at the back post. So, you know, it's something for Knotts clearly to work on. They won't face many teams uh, with the set-piece threat that, that Sutton have. I, I expect them now that Stevenage have gone to score the most set-piece goals in the year, uh, in the season, <laughs> in the league this season. And I said that on the 1-24s. So, you know, there's an extent to which, like, what can you do about that? Um, the stone red card, you can do something about. It was a loose pass. There's a lot of gaps between Knott's defenders when they have possession. That's how they try and spread the pitch, how they try and pull uh, the opposition out of position. Uh, but Sutton are very, very well drilled and the loose pass was seized upon by Kashkett. He was brought down by the goalkeeper. Red card, 15 minutes gone. So, um, you know, I prefer to focus on Sutton here really because I think it would be, it could look very stupid to go in two-footed on a Notts County team that made one bad error and looked a little bit vulnerable from a set piece. And that was basically the reason for them getting thumped um, from their perspective. But also because Sutton, I'm really excited about having seen in the flesh. Um, you know, I said that their wide players were going to be absolutely crucial when it comes to Sutton's attacking threat, because the way that they play uh, is fairly rigid. It's a 4-4-2. There's a, a very big man up top and a very small man up top. Um, if you can handle the movement of Kashkett and the aerial ability of Smith, what else do you do, Sutton? Well, you look wide and you hope that your wide players have the sort of 1v1 uh, ability to kind of break down defences and, and create chances through individual quality. So I think last season that was somewhere where they didn't always get a ton of output. Um, but the signs are very good because uh, in Omari Patrick, the left midfielder who scored two, and in Josh Coley, the right winger who set up two, um, they had instant impacts from their wide players. And they look like quality players for the level. Harry Smith scored a thumping header. Kashkett was one of, you know, classic Kashkett game where he barely touched the ball, to be honest, but just his presence, him zipping around the place, um, the threat that he does pose, holding his high line and trying to scamper in behind. You know, it just asks a lot of questions of teams. So I was really, really excited by Sutton. And the other thing to say is, one of the things that impresses me most about them is how clear-minded they are as a club. They know themselves. They know how to try and, and get better. They're not able to impact the transfer market in terms of wages. But if you look at the players they've signed, I mean, they brought on Craig Clay, who just won promotion with Orient, Aidan O'Brien, who's played almost exclusively at Championship and League One level, and sure, has been on the way down for the last few years, hasn't really found a home, but quality assist for the fourth goal I think it was you'd think should absolutely be able to handle himself playing up top uh, in league two and suddenly Sutton don't look like a, an underdog squad anymore I, I think it's an important personality trait for them I think it helps them at this level but actually I think when you're in your third year as an EFL club and when you rarely waste money and when you are very clear about your recruitment and the type of players that you want to sign this is what happens. You end up with like quite a good squad. Um, and uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, Omar Shomi at the back looked brilliant as well. He's massive, but looked pretty confident on the ball, which I quite enjoyed. Um, yeah. Notts County. Nobody said it was easy, but no one ever said it would be this hard. 5-1 defeat in the rain. 
Accrington beat Newport 3-0. What did you think about that one? It was a really end-to-end game, Ali, um, where both teams created a lot of chances. But it was Accrington who took their chances and therefore they came away with all three points. Mm. Another game where I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot, but this is my job and I have to talk about these games and I'm treating them all the same way. I wouldn't be rushing to um, suddenly upgrade Accrington massively off the back of it. I also wouldn't be overly fearful if I was a Newport fan. Um, again, the expected goals over the game was was basically level. Um, in terms of the goals themselves, um, we saw Jack Nolan get the first, um, Sean Wally again um, scoring. Uh, I wonder how many consecutive seasons that would be. Uh, and then... Um, yeah, go from a set piece to, to finish it off. Uh, so Accrington showing, you know, it's it's a good way to bounce back. They weren't the only team to come. Actually, all the teams that came down from League 2 won. Is that right? Not no, Forest, Forest Green. Green. Lost but to Salford. Didn't. Should I go straight into that then? Because I, I haven't got anything more to say about Accrington apart from decent. Yeah. Yeah, Forest Green was... Also, don't worry about your stretching for conclusions. Caveat. Just tell the stories. I'm a caveat man. Tell some stories. Uh, tell I- the story of Connor McElhenney and Big Matt Smith. Okay. Well, no, because I, what I wanted to say is, yes, this was a, a big result for, Salf- for Salford. Gets their kind of newest promotion push underway with three points. McElhaney doing what McElhaney does with a kind of a long-range strike uh, and Matt Smith doing what Matt Smith does with a galumphing run and then a thumping header. Um, but it would, doesn't really necessarily tell the full story of the game. I wouldn't say. I think Forest Green came out of this with quite a lot of credit in my mind. Um, they performed pretty well up until the goal I think they dominated possession as well well they had more possession um, or completed more passes than Salford which not many teams really do against Neil Wood Salford so I think that is a, a sign for us that we're going to see a, a style of play that is pretty easy on the eye and, and, and kind of ball retention heavy um, you know by the time Salford got scored their second goal they you know they'd obviously put away the chances that um, saw them win the game Matt Taylor came on for the last 25 minutes or so having had niggle and very nearly scored one unbelievable goal then then looked very lively generally I still as I say I, th- I think if he's going to be playing for a side that can create chances he's going to score a lot of goals and on, on opening evidence this is a Forest Green side who are going to create a lot of chances so yeah th- this is one where I'm happy to have more of a bullish view I guess and say um, Forest Green despite losing open, on opening day 2-0, positive signs under under David Horsman. Stockport lost 1-0 at home to Gillingham. The two teams that picked up the most points in League 2 uh, in the first six months of 2023 went head-to-head. And Jill's away game plan was spot on here. It was absolutely the right way to approach it. They allowed Stockport to have the majority of the ball and a lot of the territory, and they defended their box brilliantly. Uh, we've got to talk about Shadrach Oji. OG's one of those fun sort of pod favourites where you and I went to Leighton Orient against Swindon. Mm. Not last season, but the one before. OG played for Orient and something about him that really, really caught our attention. Smoothness in possession, nice left foot. Um, There was one lovely switch ball out out to the right. That was right, wasn't it? Mm. He sort of shimmied inside a pressing attacker. And then flicked a crossfield ball straight onto the chest of the winger, who I think then went on to set up a goal. So we've always kept an eye on OG. Uh, but Wellens never quite found a spot for him. He's landed with Neil Harris and Gillingham straight into the team, which surprised me. And colossal here. He won as many aerials and at the same rate as Stockport's Fraser Horsfall, who's considered among the best in the air. And uh, that's highly impressive. I think for Jills, it was a case of keeping it nil-nil for as long as possible, which is certainly nothing to be ashamed of, and then wait and see what happens. And 
what can happen is a sort of mucky set-piece goal with a deflected free kick that uh, bounces to a Jills player who swiped at it and completely missed it, but <laughs> had drawn the attention of three Stockport defenders, which means when it bounced to the bloke behind him, there was no one to stop McKenzie from firing in. So massive start for Jills without Hawkins up top. So they didn't have the target man that we expect them to generally play with. It was Tom Nichols, Johnny Williams and George Lapsley basically furthest forward in possession, which is not a lot of height, um, but defended really well and, and scrapped a winner, which is just imagine the impact that that result's going to have on Jill's confidence and their sort of general buy-in. Um, they are, they're going to be definitely, definitely a shark, I think. Uh, what else, George? I feel like you do have a bit of an opinion on Doncaster Neil Harrogate one. I do. Yes. I, um, yeah, for, for Doncaster fans, you know, the, the new era, the second era under McCann, this looked on paper to be a, a very favourable opening game to, to get underway with a victory. And they've come away from it as as a you know defeated 1-0. Um, this is another where I think the scoreline is, is ultimately uh, tells a different story to what I saw, where Doncaster were by far the better team in this game. Um, created loads of chances, some heroic defending from, from Harrogate. Uh, in terms of keeping um, keeping Donny at bay, I think it was O'Connor with a with a goal line clearance. Uh, but yeah, generally it was it was Doncaster who were well on top. Um, I wrote in the EFL newsletter that one of my favourite transfers of the summer in League Two was Abraham Odo. Uh, he looked really lively, had a had a decent opportunity. Well, pretty much the only decent opportunity Harrogate had in the first half, and then in the second half, basically got on the ball in the halfway and just ran really fast in a straight line until he was felled. Um, I'm not convinced. I mean, I, I'd like to see another angle. It looks it looks fairly soft. It looks like he probably gets the ball. Uh, but either way, the penalty's given and Jack Muldoon tucks at home. And after that, in fairness to, to Harrogate, they were... I mean, that would be the biggest disappointment for me if I was a, a Doncaster fan, was that, that you know, the, the onslaught of pressure that you would think would come after the penalty didn't really happen. Um, you know, they, they created a couple of opportunities, but nothing too clear-cut. So, yeah... I wouldn't be overly enthused by Harrogate's performance. I wouldn't be ultimately too negative about Doncaster's. I think if this game was, you know, t- took place and the balance, all the, you know, the the uh, quality gap was as it was in this one, Doncaster would, would win more games than than not. But we know that football is a high variance sport, low margin sport, and on this day, the, the penalty was enough to win it. Mike Williamson's the manager at Gateshead, and they had a really interesting team in the National League last season, and in particular were very good in possession, very good attacking team, quite an interesting team to watch. Um, And they've been sort of gutted, basically. Uh, One of them has landed at Doncaster, and he's a kind of early one to watch for me. Owen Bailey um, plays at the base midfield, was the one for them that was really getting on the ball and trying to progress it. Um, He's someone to watch. I mean, Camel Conte, who went to Grimsby, is the name that has been mentioned most from those that went to Grimsby Wimbledon on both sides as being the sort of standout performer. He was also playing for that Gateshead side. Uh, and Crawley have just bought Adam Campbell, who was scoring quite a lot of goals for that Gateshead side. Uh, this is a Crawley team. Um, one of the most sort of unanimous relegation pre-season picks I've, I think I've ever seen. Uh, off and running with a 1-0 win at home to Bradford. We sort of questioned their recruitment approach, particularly a lot of the guys from, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh tier football. One they picked up from their own division was Will Wright, uh, Gillingham's sort of right-back, right-centre-back type. I saw him play against Wimbledon on opening day last year. He's a big old unit, and I thought, 
I can't think of many players I've seen who are that big that have that good a ball striking technique. He was on all the set pieces. And uh, there he is, 12 months later, now playing for Crawley, mashing in a 30-yard free kick, skidding it past Harry Lewis into the near post with speed and whip and mm. accuracy, winning Crawley the game here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was a very different Crawley performance to, to what I expected to see. Um, in fairness, a lot of the Crawley performances or a lot of the good Crawley results last season came in this style, a set-piece goal and then backs-to-the-wall stuff. Um, you should mention as well that Bradford had a man sent off uh, for two yellow cards just at the end of the first half. Um, but up to then, I mean, Crawley were just more functional, I think, than I necessarily anticipated that they would be. Um Ronan Darcy had an opportunity to to make it 2-0 and hit the woodwork um, the, just after the, the red card, which would have been a, a fair reflection of, of the game. And obviously, as the kind of second half grew, 11 v, 11 v 10, um, Crawley had the better of it. You know, Bradford are a really good side. They they have a, a We know they have one of the best squads in the league. We know that under Mark Hughes last season, he took them to the, to the playoffs. It's very unlikely we're going to see a, a huge drop-off from, from Bradford in my mind. I don't see any reason why we would. So for Crawley to kind of go toe-to-toe with them, to kind of to get ahead, to go close to going two ahead before we, you know, we factor in the 11 v 10 probably means that those of us who are writing off Crawley as, as total basket case might have to, in time, um, reflect. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what what comes with, with, with challenges coming their way. Um, but yeah, well, I would say that, you know, QPR were the ones that we looked at in league in the championship and thought this could be a total disaster. And there's we've seen nothing on opening day to say that isn't the case. With Crawley, I think our our thinking was was a similar line, but we definitely have seen something that suggests that they might be a little bit better than we than we than we feared. Mm, I've got already quite a long list of things in my life, George, that I need to take some time and reflect on, mm. and I'll add a. Uh, Crawley relegation prediction to that well, in due course we'll maybe see. We'll, see. we'll see um Barrow went to Tranmere and 1-2-1 um bit of a weird one this very sort of opening day e because I think Tranmere started quite positively um all signs were that they were moving it quite nicely attacking quite well getting hawks on the ball in particular and then a Barrow set piece uh saw a shot at goal which hit Canavan and went in 1-0 Barrow not too long after uh at the start of the second half uh, Tramier won a penalty again nice build up down the left cut back Saunders uh, using his speed to get in front of the defender Feely and winning a pen Tramier bringing it back to 1-1 pen scored by Hawks get the ball get the ball get the ball let's take it back to halfway let's score a winner false no because Kean Spence is Paul Scholes <laughs> and when it's headed straight up in the air so good and he's arriving onto it edge of the box he has the technique and the presence of mind to catch it perfectly and smash it in off the bar. The goal of the day in League Two, without a shadow of a doubt, an absolute worldie to win it for Barrow. Tramier will feel sick as a dog that they've played quite well and lost to a scrappy set piece and a worldie. But for Barrow and for Pete Wilde, winning away games, it doesn't really matter how they come. I think they showed still plenty of quality, um, the sort that we discussed in the 1-24s. Clearly the nature of their goals suggests they didn't create a huge amount outside of that and that is still something that needs to come if they're going to be um, flying towards any sort of playoff push but for Spence to have signed 
uh, from Halifax, where he had a fantastic season under Pete Wilde in the 21-22 season, for Wilde to know exactly how to get the best out of him uh, and for him to score a goal like that and his first game at this level, just sensational. Barrow, uh, often running with three points, as are George Morecambe. Yes. As mentioned, drop down from League One, three of the four teams picking up victories, Morecambe doing so late doors uh, with a set-piece winner. Yeah, a, a, you know, crucial timing to do it against a Warsaw side who, again, big positivity heading into the season, but wasn't really played out in terms of their performance level. Um, Morecambe aside, coming down, they were second favourites for relegation going into the weekend. But, you know, we know that with Derek Adams at the club, it's very unlikely that they are going to, you know, roll over. And they showed a, a level of, you know, a level of performance here that was enough to get the three points, albeit late and albeit through a set piece. Um, again, don't want to, um, you know, any Morecambe fans who may point the finger at those making predictions and say that, it, you know, it was a ridiculous thing to say. I'm not necessarily convinced. We did see, you know, Adam Mayer, the, the, the goal scorer of the first goal, an 18-year-old who is an exciting player to watch for them going forward. Um, the winner scored by Rawson, we know how dominant he can be in the air. Um, Danny Johnson doing what he does in a Warsaw shirt and getting the goal in, in between the two. But um, yeah, someone who was quite excited to see Warsaw really. I was, a, I was a bit disappointed that they were unable to um, show, well, that Matt Sadler couldn't really show us what he's about. I, I didn't see a really kind of discernible style uh, in terms of their play. Um, we'll, we'll give him a home game until we really start. Mate, you know. that was what I was going to say. <sighs> it's too early to say anything. So Shame why, they've got Stockport. Why am I talking? Shame they've got Stockport next and then wrecks him away. Yeah, although I mean, two teams that lost their first game, they're rubbish. So yeah. easy. What world am I living in? I don't mate? know. Uh, crew drew 2-2 with Mansfield, flew out the traps did Mansfield, uh, Davis Keylor done at the double, one with his right foot, one with his left foot. Very good sign for Mansfield, that. Um, but Crew came back into it. Uh, firstly, it was a Dimitriou goal from a set piece. Then they were helped when Callum McDonald went flying into a rugby tackle um, and was sent off straight red. Um, and from the resulting free kick, Crew worked it very nicely, got a ball into the box, and there was Rio Adebisi riding Riding? Rising highest to head home. So Crew and Stags drawing 2-2. I think for, for Mansfield, you know, good signs that they created tons of shooting chances in an away game. Bad sign conceding two headed goals, the sort of goals that most managers, I think, would consider quite soft and avoidable. Um, but how about the signing of Aidan Flint? I know. Which may help with that. Aidan Flint, a Mansfield player now. A Grimsby and Wimbledon drew 0-0. This was a match that happened... And Humberside, uh, Ali Al-Hamadi missing a penalty just days after telling you, <laughs> looking you in the eye and telling you he wasn't going to be on he pens. He said that Josh would be, who is Josh Davison, who wasn't on the pitch. So we'll, he's not going to take any more penalties, I don't think, yeah. sadly. So. Uh, competitive game, close game. I think Grimsby looked very sharp, uh, particularly energetic in their press, but still work to do on chance creation levels and winning home games places where they struggled last season. Camel Conte, as I mentioned, catching the eye uh, on his debut after summer signing. And finally, Colchester and Swindon didn't go ahead. Has there ever been a game called off on opening weekend for a waterlogged pitch? Crazy. Did you know, Did you see that Colchester were planning on uh, announcing a new signing? Oh, no. And then parading in front, of the, in front of the stadium. So they just tweeted saying, well, anyway, here's our new striker. <laughs> That's excellent. That's excellent. Cole, you Swindon postponed also imagine how buzzing you'd be as a player to like be unveiled like that and then suddenly you're just you're just a tweet 
Very sad. Uh, thank you to Betfair for sponsoring this podcast. Thank it's been you. real fun whiz through opening weekend. Um, just like some of the play that we saw across the EFL this weekend, I think it's fair to say a little bit of summer rust for George and I, uh, but hopefully you've enjoyed listening what? to it. <laughs> and we'll be back again I hope on that, Thursday. I hope that's scripted. We'll be back again on Thursday with a betting show. We're going to let Udoka Godwin Malif yes. play us out. Swindon's new signing uh, didn't get to play this weekend but the extra time spent in the dressing room was well spent. And I'm so dizzy, don't know what's hit me, but I'll be alright. My head is underwater, but I'm breathing fine. You're crazy and I'm out of my mind. Cause all of me loves all of you. Love y'all. Go out.